Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Big shout out to our sponsor, of course, the Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. If you're going to sign up today, make sure to use promo code THPN. A lot of fun to be had with daily fantasy sports. Of course, you've got the NHL, NBA underway in full swing, NFL on the weekends, Major League Baseball wrapping up, but there's still a few more days to have some fun with that. And of course, DraftKings is the best spot for daily fantasy sports. To sign up today, make sure to use promo code THPN. Got a good show coming up for you today. We're going to talk to Brennan Clack. He, of course, contributor at Fantrax. He's a producer with 630 Ched down the dial for myself. And uh, you can give him a follow on Twitter, at NHL Update. The guy is all over the NHL. So we'll talk to Brandon about the Oilers, about uh, their loss to the Philadelphia Flyers on Wednesday night. Of course, they take on the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday. We'll also talk about uh, the unfortunate story of uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and all that's going on there and uh, what's happening with that and, and what will continue to happen. Of course, if you missed it, uh, Joel Quenville did meet with the NHL and Gary Bettman on Thursday. As we tape this, we don't know what the outcome of that meeting is, but we're going to talk to Brendan Clack and just get his whole thoughts on that because I think we all agree what happened was disgusting with the Chicago Blackhawks back in 2011, and uh, we'll just touch on it a little bit. Of course, we will make sure our main focus today on the show is the Edmonton Oilers, and like I said, the Oilers did fall to the Philadelphia Flyers on a Wednesday night. It was their first loss of the season, so they're still in pretty good shape, but, uh, you know, my thoughts on this one, it, it, it was a winnable game, I think, and I, I think the goaltending let them down when it came to Miko Koskinen, and he's been pretty good this year. So I don't want to start just ripping on the guy, but you know, you look at that first goal, Claude Giroux scores on the wraparound, and to me, it kind of looks like Mikko Koskinen got a little bit lost in his net uh, as Giroux wrapped the puck around. Instead of, you know, pushing off his left foot and sliding to the right side of the net, he got looking and he tried to follow him just a little bit. And Claude Giroux, I mean, the guy, he's a goal scorer in the NHL. He's going to put that puck in the net 10 out of 10 times there. So a little bit of a tough positioning there on the first one. The second goal, you know, trying to play the puck kind of fumbles it just a little bit there. And, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but yeah, we got to blame Eagle Koskinen for the second goal. The third goal, uh, Cam Atkinson, just a buzzer beater right at the end there. It's flipped at Darnell Nurse, who kind of gets caught in no man's land, tough place to play the puck. That one I'm not really going to blame on Miko Koskinen. I think that a lot of people will, saying, you know, you got to make that save at that point of the game. 
But for me, I'm just going to give a lot of credit to Cam Atkinson, a guy who scored 40 goals in the NHL. That was a hell of a play for him. To control it, kick it up to a skate, and finish it in the time that he did, that was just a fantastic play by Cam Atkinson. So I won't really put the blame on uh, Mr. Mikko Koskinen for that one, but then you look at the fourth goal, Atkinson, once again, good shot, but one that Mikko Koskinen does need to make the save on, and for that, the Edmonton Oilers losing 5-3. to three. Of course, there was the late empty netter, Sean Couturier, Scoring that one. And, uh, other than that, though, I thought the Edmonton, <laughs> overall, though, I didn't think the Oilers had their worst effort. I mean, some things you can clean up, obviously, but, uh, Zach Hyman, Connor McDavid, Leon Dryasettle, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, of course, all solid. The third line also continuing to roll on. So, you know, we knew the Oilers weren't going to go 82 and 0, and that first loss would come. It's nice that it was in a game where they weren't terrible. <laughs> no, they, they didn't have their best performance, but I would say it's going to be far from the worst performance we'll see from this team this year. And uh, they'll look to bounce back against the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday night. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop out in Vancouver. Of course, if you're looking for some pregame coverage, you can tune into TSN 1260 at 6.30. Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered, but uh, that's a few days away still. Let's bring in Brendan Clack right now to talk about those Edmonton Oilers coming off that 5-3 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers. Of course, you can get him at Fantrax. He's a producer with 630 Ched. And make sure to give him a follow on Twitter, at NHL Update. Brendan, thanks a lot for doing this tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, uh, how can you not do good when the Oilers are 5-1? and one? Well, you know what? They were undefeated, but they're still doing pretty good in the standings, so I feel good. Now, Clack, well, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, you, you run a, a very impressive Twitter account, at NHL Update, where you focus across the entirety of the NHL. But when it comes down to it, I, I know you're, you're Edmonton area born and raised. Are you an Oiler fan? Are, are you biased towards the oil? Well, I'm not going to say I'm biased in a way because, <laughs> I mean, I might be biased from the other bias. And by that, I mean the negative bias. I'm really critical of the Oilers versus other teams because I feel the potential in Edmonton could be the greatest. When you have Connor McDavid, you have Leon Dreisaitl, I feel always like this team could be a cup contender every single year. And then I just, there's moves I don't like. So I feel like I end up being more critical of the team because I'm a fan of the team, which is the opposite of what I normally see, which is the fandom and the positive bias, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's funny because, like, when you were with us at 1260, I mean, uh, I think everyone on 1260, maybe outside of Eric, was, like, born and raised in Edmonton. Nielsen, obviously, from BC, but and Eric, but, uh, you know, Hernan, myself, Awanek, uh, Low Tide, a lifelong long Oiler fan. Like, I always wonder, you know, we, we all, like, when we start working for the station, kind of throw that bias behind, but I like the podcast because it's like, I can be a little bit biased. It's Oilers-based. I grew up in Edmonton. I was an Oilers fan my whole life. So, you know, if I if I have to show a little favoritism towards them, I don't have to hide it as much. I kind of like that. So, I mean, hey, if you want to just say you're rooting on the Oilers here, it's it's a, a judgment-free zone clock. I can't say that I was an Oilers fan from the beginning because when Ducks I first fan? became an – well, sorry? Were you a Ducks fan? Did Disney no, no, get no, you? no, no, no. That's Wyatt. Wyatt Zeger <laughs> was a big Ducks fan. He also used to be a TSN 1260. Yeah. Not – a Ducks fan at all. Never in a million years. They're probably in my top five most hated teams. Okay, okay. More so. Although I like the current, what they're doing. Like, I like Trevor Zegris and Jamie Drysdale a lot. But anyways, moving forward, uh, I kind of feel like like I started 
with the Minnesota Wild being my favorite team as a kid because I loved Marion Gabrick, but also I just played as the Wild on NHL 2003. That was the first game I ever played. And I liked the color scheme and I liked the uniforms. I just liked everything about Minnesota. And then I, I also lived in Colorado when I was a kid for a year. So I liked Colorado as well. So I kind of balanced between Minnesota, Colorado. But then when I was probably in grade four, that's when the Oilers went to the final against Carolina. And that's making myself look kind of young. But <laughs> that was when things turned around. That's when it happened. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, clock. We'll, we'll talk about the Edmonton Oilers, uh, you know, throughout this podcast and, uh, and, and you know that's that's kind of why I brought you here. But let's just quickly talk about Kyle Beach and uh, you know everyone's seen it by now. I would think the interview that he had with Rick Westhead, uh, just discussing being John Doe and being the victim of sexual assault uh, when he first got to the organization and uh, when they were kind of in their heyday. Uh, what were your takeaways from what Kyle Beach said in conversation with Rick Westhead? Well, I shed a tear. And I hope everyone did too, because that was an incredibly powerful, emotional interview that showed how brave Kyle Beach is for coming out on such a big platform with a huge audience and telling everybody his incredibly hard story that he's had to live with for so long. This is a guy that was 20 years old when he was trying to make the Chicago Blackhawks as a first round pick as a black ace in the playoffs and he gets sexually assaulted and no one believed him. I mean, that's just a horrific story in life for the league, just all around. Uh, I it's, it almost made me speechless to have to watch that and think about how someone could hide it and put hockey over it. You know, hockey's a game, but this was a real-life horrific situation that that got glossed over by the Chicago Blackhawks organization and by the league and by the NHLPA and by his fellow players. Uh, I, it's unacceptable, and that's an understatement. Like, it's I don't I don't have enough words to say how bad this situation is to have to hear about, and now we have to learn to be better. I feel like we've said this a lot. I feel like this is a problem with the culture of hockey. Sometimes is we've heard, we've heard these stories before about players that have been just left to the wayside from stuff they're dealing with, from bullying, from hazing incidents, et cetera. I, 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 it feels like it's never ending sometimes that we hear about this all the time. And uh, it's just, I, I, I don't have much where I don't have many words to say other than I hope that the NHL bans Joel Quinville for an incredibly long time, if not forever. And I hope that the NHL makes sure that this never happens ever again. It, it just, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And, and Clack, I mean, we're recording this Thursday night. We know Joel Quinville met with NHL and Gary Bettman and we'll, we'll see what the outcome is. I couldn't believe he was on the bench on a Wednesday night for the Florida Panthers. To me, I mean, that just shows you like, when it was fresh, it happened in 2011, he didn't really care. Ten years later, when maybe the NHL or, or the Panthers or himself, he, someone could have stepped in there and said, nah, this isn't a good look. Let's just step away for one game and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll face it going forward and see what happens. And they still don't do anything about it. Like, that's 
that's the worst part for me that they they could have done that. I don't think anybody would have been too opposed to it just based on what had happened and you know, now we'll wait and see if the NHL decides to do anything. I mean, I I kind of, you know, wasn't trying to joke, but I talked to Hernan Salas on his podcast. You remember how they got rid of Gerard Gallant? Like they have ruthlessly fired coaches before with the Florida Panthers. But they're going to stand by this guy. Like it uh it blows my mind and uh I I think everyone out there is just hoping that for for Beach, that he can grow from this and um, heal. Heal is the word I want to use, not grow. He he wants to, you know, move past this. And I, I just imagine for 10 years, you know, kind of keeping it as your secret or keeping it under wraps, like it'd be so tough and it'd be just wearing on you. So hopefully he can uh, heal going forward. I know he's got a great support cast around him. He mentioned his family and his girlfriend. So uh, we want to say, you know, all the best to him and his family. And hopefully, hopefully some good can come from this because the NHL, they, they biffed it big time on this whole situation. Uh, one more sad news <clears throat> note we should kind of drop in here very quickly. Former Oilers assistant coach uh, Manny Viveros diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, I've, I had heard about this a little while ago. Uh, comes out uh, now. He's with the Vegas Golden Knights organization. Jeez, uh, like, Kind of just shitty news, hey? Yeah, no, it, it's it's really too bad. I, I felt like Manny Viveros, uh, I, I wanted to see more of him in Edmonton, but I, the, the family is known in St. Albert where I live, and uh, you know, best of best of wishes to the family. That's horrible news to, to hear. Um, you know, I mean, we've at 1260, we've had Dave Jameson fighting cancer and – I, I say I say we because I still feel like you know Dave is part of the family of of sports in Edmonton. I don't work at twelve sixty anymore, but I feel like it's still a family here, and it's really tough to see anybody get cancer. Uh, and and you know Dave's on the up and up. It sounds like for sure that's really really positive to see. But it's it's man like it's it when it comes to negative news like like. You know what makes me really mad, honestly, Connor? I'm going to go off here for a second, but, like, Kyle Beach does all this stuff. He comes out. He says his piece. It still feels like no one's listening. Like, it feels like even though there's a million people listening and we're seeing so much positive uh, conversation and and praise of Kyle and all this, it it still feels like Donald Fair was tone deaf in his response. It still feels like the Blackhawks statement, which added championship winning in it was dumb. Mm -hmm. The Blackhawks are still trying to dismiss the lawsuit so that they can just settle, but it doesn't sound like Kyle Beach wants that. And the, and the players, there's, there's barely any players stepping up with Kyle Beach. Like it's just been Sean Lalonde and, and Nick Boynton and Brent Sopel, but Everyone else is just silent. I just, I, uh, it makes me mad. You know, it really, it really makes me mad to see that there's still this cone of silence that everyone has to put on. It's, it's a dumb show. Oh yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. And like, it, it's, it's like they're, they're scared to say the truth, you know, that they're, uh, especially the guys still playing in the NHL, right? They don't want to let it out there. And, and they're, I mean, I, I just think it's such a failure on, the part of players, you know, management, the NHL as a whole, a uh, dark day for sure. But you're right, yeah, it, it's frustrating. Um, like we said, Manny Viveros, 55 years old. We're hoping it was a case where they caught it early and they can fight it. Dave Jameson, as you mentioned, uh, he just a couple of days ago actually uh, 
finish his final radiation session. And uh, I, I was talking with him. Uh, he was criticizing my musical choices on the show. So I know he's in good spirits. And uh, we can't wait to get JMO back in the studio because, uh, yeah, he's gone through quite the ordeal as well. Now, Klaka, this was uh, starting off kind of a, a dark part to the show, and uh, but something we had to talk about. We had to bring up those things. So we'll get that out of the way. Let's move on to the Edmonton Oilers and uh, go back to Wednesday night when they host the Philadelphia Flyers. And maybe not the worst game that we've seen them play, but the goaltending, in my opinion, let them down. Uh, the first goal for Mikko Koskin kind of looks like he got lost in his net there. Uh, the second goal, trying to play the puck. I don't blame him on the third goal. I give a lot of credit to Cam Atkinson for that finish. I thought that was just pure class. So I'm not going to blame him on that one. But uh, the second goal from Atkinson, maybe there's a little blame there. What were your takeaways from the game on Wednesday? Well, I, I kind of thought watching that game that it could have went in a couple different directions. I mean, the Oilers had a few power plays. They they didn't quite capitalize. I'll tell you this. Sean Couturier is one of the best penalty killers in the NHL. When Sean Couturier was on the penalty kill, it seemed like the Flyers had somewhat figured out the Oilers a little bit. And that's hard to do. Like the Oilers yeah. power play, to figure that out is near impossible. So the, the Flyers did an excellent job there. But Hart also, I think, played well in net after the third goal went in. I wasn't liking some of the goals he was letting in. And then Carter Hart dialed in and he played pretty well in that third period. Yeah, I mean, Dave Tippett kind of said the second period for the Oilers was pretty good and maybe their best of the season. And I tend to agree that the Oilers had a lot of offensive zone time. Like the Oilers really, they they had a lot of cycling going on. The the dry settle Nugent Hopkins connection was working out and Hyman McDavid Pogliarvi had some nice cycles. It led to a goal between Bessie passing to Hyman. I mean, it it looked like the Oilers were about to take over in a way that I actually haven't seen yet this year because a lot of the Edmonton games have been run and gun like the first period where it was just boom, 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 in the net, in the net, in the net. This time it was more like the Oilers were actually dominating a period. So, I mean, it kind of ends up just being a lot of weird bounces and some saves that Koskinen should have made. I agree that the slap shot that Atkinson had, I think Koskinen wants that back. You know, I, I think that that like the nurse play on the third goal is just kind of a bad situation where he <laughs> went to stop the puck and it just rolls off his stick a little bit and then Atkinson scores. It's just a at the end of the period too. That one's a killer. Um yeah, I mean Costin's gotta be better, but that game just felt like it it's not one where you go, Oh, there's so many concerns. No, I think it, it could have went either way. Yeah, yeah, and I'm with you. Like uh that's what I thought. Like I mean, they, there's going to be a lot worse games they're going to play this year. That one, to me, wasn't one of them. And I, I think there's some coachable moments. But at the same time, like, uh, just a couple saves here and there. And, yeah, you're right. I agree 100%. Like, Darnell Nurse almost caught in no man's land. Like, kind of just an awkward play for him. Atkinson capitalizes. And, uh, geez, if it could have just wasted one more second, maybe we're talking about an Oilers win today here on the podcast. But... You know, didn't didn't quite work out. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just one dollar on any NFL game and win a hundred dollars in free bets if either team scores a point. The last zero zero tie in the NFL was in nineteen forty three, so I'd say this is a no brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You talked about Wyatt earlier on in the show, being a Ducks fan, and uh, I always remember him telling me there's this guy uh, that uh, Brennan Clark kind of looks like, uh, Zach Hyman on the Toronto Maple Leafs back in the day, and, and now he's a member of the Edmonton Oilers. A lot of people see it. Hernan Salas has told me the same thing. He's kind of your uh, your NHL doppelganger. He's been pretty good this year for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, this guy's ca- came as advertised. I think Zach Hyman's played extremely well, and I'm not saying that because he looks like (laughs) me and I have some bias on him. I'm saying that because he's actually played well. There was people that had worries about him because of the contract, and I wasn't worried about him. I was more worried about how that contract would look in year five, six, and seven, but I wasn't worried about his first four years, and he's proven me right so far. Like Zach Hyman is the closest thing that we have seen to Ryan Smith and I think Mark Spector actually just mentioned that recently. And I, I was like, hey, I've been saying that before. Uh, I feel like at the end of the day, Hyman's role on that McDavid line is extremely valuable because he's able to win puck battles in the corner. He's able to get possession back. He's a guy that's dogged in that corner. You, McDavid has not seen that on his line ever, except for Poliarvi as he gets better too. So you have two guys that can do that, but Hyman does it as a natural part of his game. Paul Yarby's had to learn that over time to have two guys that can cycle with him. That's something that McDavid's never been used to, I think. So it's worked really well on the power play. He stands in front, he takes all the crap and he scored some goals because of it. I mean, there's nothing Hyman hasn't done yet this year. He's done everything that you would ask him to do. And I think the the Oilers fans should be really excited. Uh, I think this is going to work out better than the Lucic signing by a mile. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I love the way he he knows exactly what his role is, right? Like on that power play, Jason Strudwick talks about it a lot on the uh, Jason Greger show, how he's got that heavy stick. Like he gets it down, it's on the ice, and you can't lift it. He's got the lean on it there. And yeah, he, he's been someone that, I, I don't know, like, is he better than advertised? Because uh, there was a lot of hype. People in Toronto knew they were going to miss him off that line uh, playing with Austin Matthews. But, man, for me, like just the versatility he adds to the top six as well. I, I think he might be better than advertised. I'm really hyping him up here. Well, it depends on who's advertising him because <laughs> there is this, well, there is this trend about Zach Hyman being on Team Canada. Oh, really? I don't, not for me. <laughs> like, Look, it's the, it's best on best, and and Zach Hyman's, and I think he's a pretty good player, and he's shown so far this season that he can score, he can do everything. But you'd have to take off Matt Barzell or Stamkos to put Hyman on. Like I'm not yeah. going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. I know Chris Kunitz made it, and I know Chris <laughs> I was Kunitz say. was scored in the gold medal game. Blah blah blah. But no, I'm just not going to put Zach Hyman on Team Canada when the roster this season is so stacked for Canada that it just doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, is he better than people think? Well, his analytics are excellent. If anyone says Zach Hyman's analytics are, are, are bad, they're wrong. And if anyone thinks that Hyman is a non-analytic player, they're wrong. Hyman's analytics have been great in Toronto. They're great in Edmonton because he keeps possession. And when he's in the defensive zone, he also battles really hard to get that puck away from other teams. Like he 
he's a great two-way player. We should be extremely happy in Edmonton to have him. As soon as you said uh, the Olympics, like Kikun, it's that that's got to be where people are going with it. That's got to be the argument because, I mean, that that was it, right? Goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins, plays well with Sidney Crosby, and basically uh, hitches the wagon and, and gets a trip to the Olympics. Uh, was that 2014? Was that Sochi? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, hey, I'm sure Oilers fans would like to see it, but if you're going to be realistic, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Clack? Yes, he pulled the RV year, year what? Well, I'm going to say year two since he, you know, made the comeback, the JP 2.0. What has he changed in, in his game? And what have you noticed about him in the early start of the season here? Well, a big thing is confidence. When you feel confidence and you know your coach believes in you, that's a big thing. And yes, he pulled the RV having Dave Tippett's approval to be on the top power play unit and to be with McDavid constantly. That will help you a lot. But when it comes to actually the way he plays the game, he just goes more in front. Like he puts his body in the crease now. What Jesse Pogliarvi wasn't doing before he went overseas was going into the hard areas. He was shooting. He's got a great shot, but he was shooting from the blue line. Like he was shooting these long-term angled shots that weren't going anywhere. And now like McDavid can find him for easy tap-ins in front, or he can muscle a guy, or he can kind of screen the goalie. Like he's doing things that – that he can do because he's so big and powerful as a player. And that's a big reason why he's having success, but also he tries really hard defensively. This is not a one-way player. This is a guy who's on the, on the four check. He's really hard to play because he goes in there with a stick and he just starts whacking away. And that has a lot of value, especially at that size, because he can physically take you out too. Uh, I, I think that he's been a complete player this year for the Oilers from both sides of the rink. I would like to see him actually get penalty kill time. I know that might not ever happen, but I think he actually could be a really valuable penalty killer down the road, especially with his speed. Uh, I, I feel like, yes, he probably has even more to unlock in his game, but what we've seen so far, I mean, we're going to have to pay this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think he's going to set himself up quite nicely for a payday. Maybe the Oilers will bounce back saying, well, you're playing with McDavid or Dreisaitl, but... Yeah, I've, I've liked what we've seen from Jesse Pugliarvi so far this year. Uh, how about Ryan Nugent Hopkins? He had to get on the score sheet. Uh, I believe he's at nine assists on the season, though, obviously. Uh, a key component when it comes to the power play. What have you thought of Nuge? Uh, year one of his first, uh, or his big deal? Well, well, Nuge has always been a very smart player. I think it's he's been really smart to start this season. A lot of the little plays he's made are just really impressive. I mean, I I go back to the Vegas game and I think about how the puck is shot by Chris Russell. The rebound kind of comes out and Petrangelo loses it for just half a second and Nuge picks it up and right away, boom, pass the dry settle. Like he knew coming into that play that he was going to pass that for a goal. There's no hesitation in his game right now. And the power play is making these really nice passes. He's defensively making smart plays with a stick. Like Nuge's ceiling is maybe not that high in terms of being a point per game player all the time. Like maybe he's only a 60 point player for the rest of his career, let's say, but he's very smart defensively and his game is just very easy to age with. Like he's, he's a guy that that doesn't need to be the fastest player on the ice. Always. He just knows where to go and what to do. And sometimes he can be a ghost and he can get taken out due to physical play, but that has not happened so far this season. He's had an excellent start. He's been a big part of the power play. I think it's. I think Nuge should be really happy to have nine assists, even if he doesn't have a goal. Now, 
one of the things that, uh, you know, obviously people 10, 12, 60, that the inbox we have here are asking about, you know, Kyler Yamamoto, what do you do with Kyler? And, you know, my thoughts are that the team's five and one. They're, they're winning hockey games. You maybe don't have to make a change. And if, if they start to lose, then I think you should. But the, the reason I say that and the main reason I say that is I don't want to split up that Oilers third line. Like I've loved what Fogel and Cassian are doing with Ryan. Uh, maybe if you're in the middle of a game and you want to pull somebody off the fourth line to kind of get things going and, and drop Kyler Yamamoto there, maybe you can do that. But what do you think the Oilers need to do with Kyler Yamamoto to, to try to get him going somehow? At least on the score sheet. Well, that's the thing is that we're trying to get him on the score sheet, but yeah, I don't really want to make the first line have to change. Like I like Hyman McDavid and Paul Yarby. I, I don't really want to separate Fogel, Ryan and Cassian. I mean, if anything, if you had more depth, you would probably try to move somebody up with Drysaddle and Nuge, like Perlini, if he was playing better, but he has kind of been pretty invisible since the preseason ended, but You'd want somebody to go up there and then have Yamamoto maybe play with some other guys in the fourth line and make it a soft minutes type of thing. But yeah, I don't know. Like the forwards aren't the problem right now, except for maybe the fourth line. Like I really have not noticed the fourth line very much so far. I think Kyle Terrace has had a few chances. He's missed the net. Uh, Devin Shore hasn't been too noticeable to start the year. And yeah, like I said, Perlini hasn't been the same as the preseason goal scorer we saw. So the fourth line, we might need to see some mixing and matching going forward with getting Tyler Benson in there, Colton Sevier in there, and eventually Ryan McLeod back in there. I would like to see some competition there. But the D is probably more where I could see some changes happen, and there has been a lot of changes already. But at forward, I would just give Yamamoto a few more games. Like, they might have to trade for somebody later, to fill that void or to give him help and have a, a depth situation where you can make swaps in the lineup. But right now I would just be like, Hey, it's not killing us. Might not be, he might not be playing great, but it's not killing us. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. And uh, that's actually what I was thinking too. Like I, I was on Hernan Salas with the locked on Oilers podcast and he, he mentioned that. And I was kind of thinking like, man, you know, I, I don't really want to disrupt anywhere else. I, if possible, I wouldn't mind the Oilers making a trade and trying to find that second line right winger. And, you know, if you have to drop Kyler Yamamoto down the lineup, geez, maybe he's even going the other way. Who knows what happens? But, uh, yeah, definitely something to wait and see for. But the Oilers still winning hockey games. And, uh, I guess that's what we want to see. Now you talked about the blue line just a little bit there. Uh, Darnell Nurse being paired up with, uh, Tyson Berry to start the year. Uh, that didn't last too long. Evan Bouchard gets the move up. Uh, I mean, good sign that Evan Bouchard was able to do so. Maybe not so great that the guy you just signed to that contract uh, struggling a little bit. But I, I thought Tyson Berry probably had his best game of the year on Wednesday. What are your thoughts on uh, that whole situation? Well, for me, Evan Bouchard's been a godsend. I mean, he looks fantastic. It's not just that Evan Bouchard looks fantastic. It's that he looks like potentially the best defenseman on the Oilers right now. And yeah, hold up. We'll pump the brakes. Darnell Nurse is the best <laughs> defenseman on the Oilers. Well, hold on, because Darnell Nurse has had some iffy defensive moments already this season. Like, it wasn't all Nurse's fault that the nurse Barry pairing had issues, because Nurse was also having positional issues defensively. And a lot of that comes from him having this kind of ability from Dave Tippett to join the play. He's been a winger on a lot of plays going into the offensive zone, and that does give you another weapon over there, but it's resulted in some two-on-ones on the way back or some three-on-twos on the way back or moments where he does have great skating where he has to come back and he he does get there, but sometimes he's not sure what to do when he gets there because he just got there in a hurry. 
And what I found with Bouchard is that he's really calmed everything down. Nurse can do the things he does really well when Bouchard is with them because Bouchard is a guy that's never panicking. He's always like not slow on the ice in his thinking or his skating, but slow in just the way that he takes the game and makes it at a calm pace. It's something that Joe Thornton was very, very good at for his entire career. When he had the puck, everything just calmed down. Even on the penalty kill, Evan Bouchard, like he's made passes in front of his own net on the penalty kill with no problem whatsoever because he's very confident in himself that he can make the right pass every time. And that's why Dave Tippett's increased his role everywhere on the penalty kill and on five on five. And one day on the power play, you'd think he will get more chances, but Bouchard has been an absolute godsend this year. He's played extremely well considering that the rest of the blue line is a little bit offensively orientated. There's a lot more chances for and chances against happening when they're on the ice. Today, well, I guess if you're listening to the podcast yesterday, on Thursday, Dave Tiffin was asked about uh, the Oilers giving up a lot of shots on goal. And he, I mean, I think he dropped an all-time liner here. He's like referring to <laughs> some of the analytics, Korsky and Fenske. Um, I don't know if you've heard those clack or maybe that, maybe that's something different oh, on a whole different level. Uh, what did you think about, about Dave Tippett's thoughts on, on uh, analytics? I did like what he said. Like I, and I've heard him talk about analytics before. So I know he's not a huge hater and doesn't dis- dismiss it all the way, but he's someone who says he likes to worry about the opportunities created and the chances. Uh, what did you think about Korsky and Fenske? I mean, I found it to be a little bit ignorant, to be honest, mm-hmm. because it's still making fun of it. Like you're, you're, you're on purpose making the names wrong. It's not like he doesn't know what they are. And like, they have statistics that are tracked for chances that are dangerous or not. It's it's called X goals, X goal percent. Like these exist over the last 10 years. Analytics has really gone in a new direction where it's gone away from Corsi and Fenwick being the be all end all. There's a lot more out there. And it just didn't sound like, like Tippett was taking it very seriously. I know he said he, they have their own analytics and, and that there's way more at play than we think, but the Oilers' moves haven't really proven that necessarily. I think at forward, they made a lot of moves that the analytic community really liked. And then on the blue line, there is a problem with chances against for a team that, that Dave Tippett says we're monitoring that. Well, I mean, the chances against it, the, the rates per 60 right now are not great. I mean, they're a run-and-gun team. They're a team that likes to press, and that's left a lot to be desired defensively this season. And also for a guy that that preaches chances of quality, how come Nurse and Barry shoot the puck so much from the blue line? I, I That's not the best play. I mean, Evan Bouchard's got the best shot on the team, and he he's not really scoring every game either, is he? Like As the NHL has gone forward – blue line shooting has become a lesser thing because your skilled forwards have a better shot generally and a better chance to score closer to the net, especially when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl. So, and those guys get great chances all the time and it reflects in the stats. So I see what Tibbet's, I see what he's saying. Like I see that Tibbet's kind of trying to make the argument that flipping a puck on net is like giving the puck away. I actually think that's true. I just didn't like the way that he, it seemed like he was more crapping on analytics when teams that are really good and have won the cup, AKA Tampa Bay, 
Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Washington, all those teams, they use analytics and they don't, they take it seriously. If you ask those coaches, they take it seriously. So you don't think it was just a slip of the tongue. You think he knew what he was doing. I think he knows what he was doing. I, I, he, he knew it was course, Corsi and Fenwick, but he just added a thing to it. I, I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you 100%. I, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, probably maybe didn't like the question so much, but, uh, you know what? I, I, I kind of sit back and like, you know, I eat my popcorn and I just watch the analytics community get fired up and I don't mind it. You know, that, that's just me. I, I, I know you like the analytics clock, so I don't want to tick you off too much, but I think you bring up good points as well. I mean, it, it, it 100% serves a purpose in the game and yeah, you probably don't have to answer the question, uh, that way. Now, looking at the goaltending clock going into this weekend, uh, when the Oilers do take on the Vancouver Canucks, um, is it easy for you? Is it, is it Miko Koskinen 100% or is there any thought that thinks that if Mike Smith can't go, maybe Stuart Skinner could draw in? I think I still go to Miko Koskinen. I think you need to have a goalie that's still confident about how he plays. And the thing is, is that Stuart Skinner is just not going to be a goalie that they're in, they're going to end up needing when it matters. Like you hope that Smith comes back pretty soon here. And at the end of the day, Smith and Koskinen, one of those two are going to be in the net for game one of the playoffs if they make it, but I think they will. So I would just go, hey, Koskinen, you, you did yet a game where you wanted some goals back. Otherwise, you've played pretty well in the preseason and in the regular season so far. So keep the net, rebound, have a big game. I don't really like if it's one bad game, they're out. Unless you have that kind of platoon scenario where you have Smith to bring bring in or you have Koskinen to bring in if Smith isn't playing so well. I I, I don't really really believe in the the one mistake you're out that some coaches do. And I think the tip it will go to Koskinen. I think he he likes to ride one goalie sometimes. I think that Vancouver is going to be an important game to just keep the momentum up because the Philly game wasn't a big oh we sucked. No, the Oilers played pretty decent in that game. So I think they'll they'll kind of show some confidence in him and start him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you too. I, I thought the same thing. Tippett's kind of likes to give guys an opportunity to bounce back, it seems. He's done it in the past with Mike Smith a lot. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one as well. Uh, Clack, what do you think of this Vancouver Canucks team that we'll see Saturday night? Well, I've, I've talked about the defensive prowess of the Oilers being suspect so far as being a, a thing that I've noticed that I'm worried about for the future of this team. Vancouver is worse. Like, Vancouver's defense is a total nightmare situation defensively. And it, I mean, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't been as bad as a nightmare yet. It's just the personnel from the past and what I've seen so far, I don't know if it's going to get that much better. You have a lot of guys defensively that are just really iffy. Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Quinn Hughes, even as fast as he is, he doesn't have the best defensive ability sometimes. And, as for the forwards, I really like what Vancouver's done. I think they've built a really solid top nine there that's going to get better. But what I don't like is what Travis Green does in deploying that top nine. I don't get why Connor Garland is not on the first power play. I think he might be their best forward. I know I'm saying that Garland is better than Elias Pettersson. But hey, Garland has eight points so far. He's 5'9", and yet he plays like he's 6'5". He has no fear. And he makes the right play almost every time. 
I'm incredibly impressed by him, but they don't seem to be playing him as much as they can. And they really don't seem to be playing Niels Hoglander as much as they can. And Hoglander is a very talented player as well, who seems to make a lot of nice plays and he's dogging on the puck and you see him and it's 14 minutes of ice time. I don't get it. Like their forwards have, they have the personnel to be a good team. I just don't think it's been deployed properly. Demko, great goaltender. He can actually help with some of those defensive miscues that team has because he makes incredible saves. So are they a playoff team? I don't know. They're a very volatile team and they can absolutely beat you on the power play and from their forwards, just depending on how they're deployed on a given night. A lot of Canucks fans were really mad that Matthew Highmore was playing with Elias Pettersson a lot in the third period against Minnesota. <laughs> they probably should be mad about that. You know what? And what you said about Connor Garland, I agree with you. Like I, I got a chance to watch a couple of their games. Like he's feisty. I, I like watching him play. And I think that's a guy, you know, for the Oilers going up against him, someone you might start to dislike just, uh, the way he plays and, you know, the production he can have. Uh, Clack, final question for you. Going into the month of November, obviously we got the game on Saturday against the Canucks, but then you've got the Kraken, the Preds, the Rangers, Red Wings, Bruins, Sabres, Blues, Jets. Some fun competition. Is there any game out of those ones that you're looking forward to see that could be a good measuring stick for the Edmonton Oilers? Well, we've been kind of talking earlier off mic about how it's still early and we need to kind of see where the team is at. Like the, the wins have been all close for the most part. It's been fire wagon type of hockey. And I mean, I, the Kraken is a cool story. I think that's something that, that, as we go on through this season, it's cool to watch the Oilers and the Kraken play. Uh, I think that Seattle is not as good as I maybe thought they might be. Uh, I, I had them being a little better than some of the pundits did. I thought that defensively they might be able to crack down. Uh, no, no pun intended, uh, but totally <laughs> pun intended there. But when it comes to the month of November, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule and I'm thinking, well, the Jets having a back-to-back against them, not a back-to-back, but having a 16th game and an 18th game in November, well, Winnipeg beat the Oilers 4 nothing in the playoffs. So if the Oilers come out of that, that kind of series, home and home with two wins, that'd be a major, major statement. I'd be looking at those two Winnipeg games a lot. And I'd also be maybe looking – at that Vegas game at the end of the month, only because I wonder if by that point Mark Stone is back and they've had a chance to recuperate their losses they started with at the end of the year, and maybe that Golden Ice team will be a lot better than the team that we saw in the last game against the Oilers, which, by the way, they still played pretty well in that game despite having a lot of personnel missing. Uh, that would probably be the, the ones that stand out for me. Uh, always Boston too. Boston's always it's incredibly hard to contain that top line. Oh yeah, I mean, and I, I look at some of those games where I, I want to see uh, Duncan Keith and Cody Cece get tested. Uh, I've seen some people kind of, you know, say like, "Oh, I was wrong about those two. I, it's early. I want to see them play some uh, deeper teams and see how they hold up." Uh, that game in Vegas, uh, a five o'clock start on a Saturday. Then they've got a couple days off, so maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll hang around Vegas again and have some fun. Clock. Appreciate you doing this today. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really weird start to the season. You see Vegas, Tampa Bay, Colorado. They're, they all look kind of bad so far. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. Like Tampa Bay, they lost to Buffalo. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> so it's been a weird start, and the Oilers are doing well despite it. I just wonder about the sustainability of that kind of back and forth hockey nature the Oilers style has had and I can't wait to see if it continues that way it's at least extremely fun it's like watching the circus 
Great stuff from Brennan Clack of Fantrax. You can give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update. Always appreciate Clack hopping on the podcast here. For the Edmonton Oilers, like we talked about, now focusing their attention to the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday night. 8 o'clock puck drop out in Vancouver. If you're looking for some pregame coverage, TSN 1260 is what I would recommend. Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered starting at 6.30 Mountain Time. And then after that for the Edmonton Oilers, to me, this is where the schedule really starts to pick up. You've got the Seattle Kraken, Nashville Predators, New York Rangers, the Red Wings, but then you got the Boston Bruins sprinkled in there, the Buffalo Sabres, St. Louis Blues, back-to-back against the Winnipeg Jets, Chicago, Dallas, Arizona, Vegas, once again to wrap it up in the month of November. So, uh, you know, there's there's going to be some tough games. There's going to be some winnable games in there. But uh, for me personally, really looking forward to those games against the Boston Bruins, the St. Louis Blues, the Winnipeg Jets. I think those will be good tests for the Oilers group. And like I said, to clock. That's what we can really see, in my opinion, how good that second pairing is. But uh, that's going to do it for another edition of the show here. It's the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Once again, check out uh, DraftKings. If you want to play some daily fantasy sports, make sure to use promo code THPN when you do that. A big thank you to our guest, Brandon Clark, for joining me on the show today. Thank you to everyone who tuned in and listened. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.